I was thinking about also the the uh, reality of just the one individual, Charlie Riggs and Gene Moore invested in Jim Morris. Gene Moore was in Oklahoma City. Charlie Riggs traveled the country for the Billy Graham uh, Association, but they both invested a little time in Jim. And just looking at the result of his life and sharing that with someone, I'm in hopes that they'll see that, wow, that I'm just an average Christian like Jim was. He wasn't a pastor of a church, but God sure used him. And so I want to encourage the person who sees himself as the average Christian to know that there's something significant that God can do through their life. Do you consider yourself just an average Christian? Do you want to make a difference but don't see how God might use you, a fallible, untrained person? Welcome to the club. Hi, I'm David Dennis with the Kansas Communities Ministry with the Navigators. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is the third of three podcasts with Mr. Larry Beck. Larry has invested his life in leading people to Christ and helping them grow. He is a key individual in the Kansas Communities Ministry, and I know you will be blessed by his encouraging comments today. So you've mentioned this a little bit. I don't know if you have anything else you want to say about the essential elements of the disciple-making relationship. You've mentioned you want to give them tools. You want to get the scripture into their lives. Any other thoughts about the essential elements of the of the disciple-making relationship? Well, um, three or four things. One, faithfulness. That's one, you know, faithfulness on my part, obviously, but I want to see if they're going to be faithful, right? Uh, and, and partly because if they're not, then it's probably not the right time or not the right person. Secondly, are they available? Uh, you know, all of us navigators from years ago used to talk about fat men, faithful, available, and teachable. But I see those principles still borne out in reality. And so the question is, are they are they teachable? Are they going to be transparent, you know, honest about issues of need or sin or questions they may have? Are they open to uh, you know, input and are they being transparent? If they're not being transparent, then that can result in a challenge. Uh, so along with that, are they willing to be confronted? And one of the sad things I've seen over the years is uh, sometimes it's a matter of sin. Somebody doesn't want to be confronted about, or there may be doctrinal error in their life, which actually can lead to sin. Um, sadly, I've been in a church position where we've had to confront individuals. They claim to be Christians. They're living in a fornicative, you know, relationship, and they don't even know that what they're doing is wrong. And then I come along and encourage them, no, you you need to change this. And so, that, and I've seen that just confrontation of sin can divide. And uh, so I'm looking for somebody who's willing to be confronted. Because uh, that's part of the disciple making process, and if they're not, then yeah, that's probably not my guy right now. Mm-hmm. But you know those those fundamental things we learn: you're faithful, available, teachable, and so forth. Those are still really important. Yeah, thank you. That's good. Some hindrances to the disciple making process. You know, sometimes people either are resistant to. Um, developing a relationship with you for they're resistant for their to be transparent maybe because of sin or for what other reason maybe they're busy 
um, but also they're resistant to then moving on and uh, multiplying that to the next generation. What are your thoughts on some hindrances to disciple making? Well, the lack of being faithful, available, and teachable, I mean, those are the easements, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, schedules. Um, and one thing I, I have noticed a lot is if you're ministering to somebody who's married and it's new to them, it's new to their spouse, now all of a sudden that individual is committing time to do something the spouse doesn't understand, doesn't have a vision for. Uh, so that spouse is all of a sudden going to have a left out sensation going on and may start, you know, putting some resistance on it. And so that's when it becomes important that I'm going to have to probably have my spouse get engaged with that other spouse or bring them into my home, start building some kind of a relationship to avoid that hindrance. But uh, I've definitely seen that play out more than once. So, and then I think maybe the last thing, at least in this area, is spiritual resistance. And it's hard to put a finger on that. But sometimes when I've been working with an individual, if there's consistent interruptions, interference, um, activities that seem to keep coming up that restrict us from meeting together, the individual becomes discouraged or they lack motivation, and it's consistent, then I'm asking myself, okay, what, what's going on here? Um, and I don't know, I can't explain it, but I, I, when I see that not being overcome, then all right, there's a spiritual thing going on here. I can't put my finger on it. Maybe God is sovereignly trying to uh, circumvent this relationship for now uh, until later or uh, maybe another individual. I don't know. But that that also has something to play in it. So that's where I I realize that I need to be praying more for the men that I meet with so that they don't get discouraged or these other things don't come in and interrupt the relationship. That's good. Again, reminding us how important prayer is. Certainly it's it's we're involved in a spiritual battle and and um I see that so often that uh which really cannot be combated by our own strength, but it has to be in the Lord, strength of the spirit. So how do we inspire others to reproduce themselves? I really appreciated your comments earlier about the fact that it's up to the Lord to do that, Holy Spirit to move in their lives. Uh, what is the role do you see as a disciple maker in inspiring others to then, you know, catch the vision of uh, spiritual uh, generations? Well, the first thing is to continue to be an example. Uh, just keep doing it, uh, regardless of whether it seems like, you know, my past has been profitable or not, just keep doing it. Stay faithful to it. And hopefully it will inspire them to at least see what I'm doing. And hopefully, you know, through that process, they'll meet other individuals I have ministered to and bring them into that engagement so that they can uh, be introduced to others who have not only been impacted, but are also going on to do it themselves. Um you know, I shared this a little bit earlier, but when I was real young in the Lord and I hadn't even met the navigators yet, one of my roommates had a guy, another young man come over and meet with him. And they were downstairs at the kitchen table meeting, and I'm sitting at the top of the stairs just eavesdropping because, man, I sure wish I had somebody do that with me. Mm-hmm. And so just that example planted a seed in me of desire. Oh, I need that. And especially with that hungry young believer that 
needs some help. And so uh, that just seeing it happen made a lot of difference. Um, and in, I was thinking about also the, the uh, reality of just the one individual. I think we've talked about this before, but uh, Charlie Riggs and Gene War invested in Jim Morris. Gene War was in Oklahoma City. Charlie Riggs traveled the country for the Billy Graham uh, Association. But they both invested a little time in Jim. And just looking at the result of his life and sharing that with someone, I'm in hopes that they'll see that, wow, that I'm just an average Christian like Jim was. He wasn't a pastor of a church, but God sure used him. And so I want to encourage the person who sees himself as the average Christian to know that there's something significant that God can do through their life. Um, I'll, I'll give one example. Uh, Lloyd Wilson used to come by my house early on Saturday mornings and we go out for breakfast. We go for long drives, talk about the scriptures, talk about the ministry and so forth, but he invested time in me. And so continuing to invest time in an individual ad hoc, so to speak, it's not just for our Bible study time. It's, Hey, let's, let's go run over here. Let's go do this or go do that. You know, whatever, bringing them more into your life. Um, I think that also helps sow that seed of inspiration because the more it's done with them, the more they're apt to say, yeah, yeah, that's, I, I need to do that. So, um, I think one of the, along with that, some of the things that can hinder it a little bit, uh, is ignorance or fear. You know, what, what do I do with someone? How, how, how's this, how does this work? Uh, what do I expect? Um, you know, sometimes when you start into this kind of ministry, you, you may be young in your faith and you're eager and want to be involved, but your Bible knowledge is fairly shallow. Well, sometimes people may shy away from it for that reason. But by the fact that someone invested in me at that stage, motivates me. No, I can still do this. You know, I've got this new believer here and they've never read John. Well, I'll sit down and read John with them. If I don't know the answer to their question, I'll tell them, I don't know, but I'll go find out. And so I, I think just mainly being that example, showing them examples, sharing testimonies of people who've done the ministry, I think helps and in introducing them to them. I was thinking about Elmo Joseph. Um, he shared with us, I think he said he's seen at least six generations of disciple makers mm. that God has used him to uh, invest in. Uh, if if I had a young guy that seemed opportune, I want to let him talk to Elmo. Mm-hmm. Let Elmo download to him. Let, you know, have use other men in the ministry that have been involved in it to help, uh, help them see that vision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. I think there are I think what you said is so true that it's it's the power of example that's the inspiration. We can read books about it, and we can learn from other people and go to conferences, and those are all good and helpful. But to see someone in the flesh making disciples is really the key for inspiration, I think. So that's good. How long do you stay with a person that that you've been working with? How do you know, hey, he has he or she has arrived at <laughs> Now we all know that no one has arrived, but how do you um, how do you decide when the 
when you have gone as far as you can take someone? Well, um, typically when they go on to start doing the ministry themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, but the relationship just changes at that point. It doesn't stop. Uh, you know, that's hence the need for the navigator teams um, because they'll still need encouragement to keep doing it. And I'll still need encouragement to keep doing it. And so now all of a sudden the relationship becomes mutual as we help each other in the ministry. And so some of those relationships last for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm sure that you've got some multi-year relationships. They've changed, but they're still there. Right. Uh, you still communicate with those individuals, uh, may still meet with them, even on a team or something. Uh, and so those things can go on for a lifetime, literally. Uh, it, it's the ones that don't go where it's the challenge. Right, right. Should we feel like we have failed if we have met with someone for three, four years and they have not caught the vision of no. making disciples? No. That, that's our default setting. Well, I must have screwed up. I didn't do it. I didn't handle it right. That's where you know, I tried to preface this at the beginning. I've learned, am still learning, that the Holy Spirit's the one that's going to He's the one that's going to develop the individual. I can't give him that vision. I can teach it to him, but I can't give it to him. Like Jim Morris used to say, this, this kind of ministry is caught, not taught. And even though you've done it with them, uh, you can't, you can't give them a heart for it. God's got to do that. He's, he's got to help them see the need for it. Uh, so a failure, no. And, and a part of that, I remind myself, first Corinthians 15, 58. Where Paul said, you know, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Mm -hmm. And so let's say, I know in my own life, when I meet with someone, especially at the beginning, I'm going to stress quiet time and scripture memory till I'm blue in the face. And one man that I met with for about, about two or three years, his job took him away. But four or five years later, he called me and we were talking. I said, well, what have you been reading lately in your quiet times? And he just started rattling it off. And so he he was still doing that. And I thought, well, was that a failure? No. The guy's still communicating with God. And so if he's still building that relationship, who knows what will wake up in him later, but what God will do in him later, say, you know what? I missed an opportunity. I, I want God to use me like Larry did in my life or Dennis did in my life. So, no, it's not a failure. Yeah, yeah. Good. Thank you. Those are all really helpful comments, Larry. What uh, what are some other thoughts you might have? Well, um, I guess one, I'm thankful that God did that in my life. I'm thankful that he came along and found me when I was wandering along, and he, he brought me into the life of a man who knew what to do with me. And so I'm literally eternally grateful for that. And even though I helped pastor a church, if you ask the people there, where's Larry's heart? They will tell you he wants to make disciples. So I wanted to share one little thing out of uh, Leroy Ames' book, The Lost Art of Disciple Making. It really illustrates this. And I think it's really very eloquently uh, worded. On the other hand, they said a lack of knowledge of these things, talking about discipleship, can have some sad consequences. I was visiting with a foreign mission field 
and spoke with a veteran missionary. He told me the story that still haunts me. I can't get it out of my mind. It seems that he went overseas some 15 years before we met and began the usual programs. About the time he arrived on the field, he met a young man named Johnny, who was involved in something quite different. Johnny was a committed disciple of Jesus Christ, but he was going about the ministry in all the wrong ways, according to the book. In contrast, the typical missionary approach of the time, Johnny was spending the bulk of his time meeting with a few young men in that country. The veteran missionary tried to get Johnny straightened out, but the young man kept on with his different approach. The years passed and the veteran missionary now had to leave the country of his service due to new visa restrictions. As he sat across the table from me in his house, he told me, Leroy, I've got little show for my time there. Oh, there's a group of people who meet in our assembly, but I wonder what will happen when I leave. They are not disciples. They have not been, they have been faithful in listening to my sermons, but they do not witness. Few of them know how to lead another person to Christ. They know nothing about discipling others. Now that I'm leaving, I can see that I've all but wasted my time here. He continued, then I look at what has come out of Johnny's life. One of the men he worked with is now a professor at the university. This man is mightily used of God to reach and train scores of university students. Another is leading a witnessing and discipling team of about 40 young men and women. Another is in a nearby city with a group of 35 growing disciples around him. Three have gone to other countries as missionaries and now are leading teams in those lands who are multiplying disciples. And so, you know, just thinking about not in any way to denigrate pastors, um, but it was just Johnny's approach. He invested in the lives of a few and it just mushroomed from there. And I thought, that's what I need, what I need to be encouraged by. Uh, cause part of it, when you're trying to make disciples, that's not visible. It's done in coffee shops, basements, uh, you know, private venues, wherever. And the church at large doesn't see it, but it's going on. And so, uh, but when you see the result of it, that's when it really starts to land on you. Like, yeah, I've spent the last 20 or 30 years ministering to four or five guys, but those four or five have turned into 25 or 30 that have touched literally hundreds. Then it takes on a different perspective. So the investment in the individual seems to have a lot more meaning. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Anyways. Very encouraging. That's from The Lost Art of Disciple Making by Leroy Imes. Yes. Yeah, it's very good. All right. Well, thank you so much, Larry. You've been a, a great encouragement to us, and I know this is going to impact a lot of lives. We thank you for your heart. We thank you for your uh, vision and uh, for just your example. So thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, it's been a blessing. The Incredible Worth of the Individual Today, Larry reminded us how Charlie Riggs and Gene War invested in Jim Morris, the founder of the Navigator Ministry in the Wichita area. Jim discipled many others, who in turn have gone on to disciple countless others. While we cannot know the exact numbers, it is likely the Lord has impacted literally thousands of lives over the years thanks to the faithfulness of Charlie and Gene in discipling one man. I want to be used by God to impact just one person who disciples someone else who invests in someone else. You know, I'm just an ordinary person. It's likely that you are just an ordinary person as well. But our God is extraordinary and wants to work through you and me. 
Join us next time as together we learn more about making disciples naturally. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the navigators, nor of the Kansas Communities Ministry. Thank you for listening.